Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. This past Friday, I had the joyful and sobering honor of preaching the gospel at my grandfather's memorial service. Uh, My grandfather, he was named Wilbur Hendricks, my mom's dad, uh, died uh, about a month ago at the ripe old age of 84. I shared the same birthday with him, 51 years apart, April the 15th. And I grew up often at his side, learning to work hard, to love God and his word, and to enjoy a good Western cowboy movie. My grandfather lived a full life that was filled with experiences. He traveled to different spots around the world, different continents. He owned his own home-building company that was very successful. And when my grandmother fell into an abandoned pit during a trip to India in 1989 or 1990, when I was just a few years old, Uh, My grandfather was the one who kind of set aside a lot of other things to become her primary caregiver for 30 years. I remember him lifting her in and out of bed every night, even as his back screamed in pain. I called him grandfather. Uh, He was a man of many accomplishments, skills, and experiences. Yet in his wish that he had written down for his memorial service sermon that he, he wrote and asked me to preach this summer... He wrote down some notes communicating to us, to me, that his wish was for Christ to be exalted and his own personal accomplishments to be kept in the background, in the shadow. So as I prepared to preach on the hope of the resurrection, I kept that in mind. Grandfather wanted the prominent note of his memorial service to be one of glory to God, not self. So while there were many reflections and testimonies from friends and relatives attesting to his integrity, his generosity, his honesty, and his big, big belly laugh, which I miss a lot, it was his desire that the glory of God through Jesus Christ be the note that was left ringing in the ears of the attendees at his memorial service. And I believe we honored his wish as we finish singing, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. See, the greatest calling of our lives is to bring glory to God. That is what our souls are designed to do, that is what our souls long to do. That is the appropriate response to our salvation. And in our passage today, as we conclude our Advent series in Luke's account of Jesus' birth, we see glory to God permeating this text. So two weeks ago, we saw Jesus born and placed in a manger, and we thought about the awe-inspiring condescension of God who would stoop so low to raise the lowly so high. We sang, Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, the hymn that talks about how Jesus gave up his throne for a manger. And then last Sunday, we saw the birth announcement from the angel to the shepherds that Jesus had been born. He he called it good news of great joy. And we considered how we too are heralds of good news, of the gospel, 
the news of salvation through Christ, and we sang, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is born. Today, then, we conclude this kind of nativity narrative with Luke chapter 2 and verses 13 through 20. And we see reaction to this good news announcement. A reaction that gives all glory to God alone, that exalts him and leaves us with his worth, his praiseworthiness, his splendor ringing in our ears. So as we read and study these verses, we're going to do so looking at three different characters or groups of characters that Luke presents and how they process these events of Jesus' birth. So first we're going to see the angels, then the shepherds, and then Mary. Angels, shepherds, Mary. Follow along as I read Luke 2, starting in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Bless me. All right. So these three casts of characters or, or character, the first one in this scene are the angels. So last week we saw one angel appear to a group of shepherds and announce that Jesus had been born. This angel said it was good news of great joy and told the shepherds they could go see this. They could go see this baby in the city of David, Bethlehem. In our verses today, though, The singular angel turns into a plural angels as a host of heavenly beings appears to these lowly shepherds. Look with me at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. So last week we saw how unsettling this must have been, this experience For the shepherds, a presumably silent night, broken apart by the splendor of God all around them. But here in verse 13, it gets even more overwhelming. Last week, God's glory had radiated all around them. But now the scene is intensified as an entire host of heavenly messengers takes up the praise of God. The word host there has the idea of army. This is an army of angels appearing to the shepherds, bringing news of peace. The scholar James Edwards writes, This army is huge, regimented, and marshaled for the praise and purposes of God. John Piper adds, Evidently, To deliver the news, an angel can do that. 
to respond to the meaning of the news, the implication of the news, it takes an army of angels to do that. See, what do these angels do? They react to the good news of great joy. They proclaim in verse 14, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. That's their first cry. This good news of great joy has its originator, its designer, and its executor, its accomplisher as the creator of the universe. The one who designed all things to bring him glory. And so it makes all the sense in the world for these angels to worship him upon hearing the news. Last week, we saw how God's glory was sort of this, this light, this splendor that was just shining all around the shepherds in an overwhelming display. That was God's glory revealed in kind of stupefying splendor. But now glory looks a little bit different because it's now being turned back by the angels to God. He praise him. One author writes, to give glory to God does not give him something he otherwise lacks. Rather, it is a confession of the wondrous glory he forever possesses. And here the angels proclaim the wondrous glory of God. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to the one who has sent this news. Glory to the one who has created this news. Glory to the one who oversees the uh, the execution of this news. But that's not all. They continue, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, So this glory is being exalted by heavenly beings to God in the highest, right? That's happening kind of in heaven, directed towards heaven. But then what's happening on earth? Peace. I think we're reminded here how those two concepts must always go hand in hand. God has designed all things to bring him glory. And when he gets the glory, peace reigns. Leon Morris reminds us that the glory to God is a necessary preliminary to real peace on earth. But this isn't a blanket catch-all sort of peace, right? So in coffee shops or stores or restaurants right now, we're hearing all kinds of Christmas music, some better than others. One song you might have heard dozens of times already is uh, that kind of like haunting children's chorus uh, in Happy Xmas, War is Over, by our good friend John Lennon. Uh, I was being a little facetious there. Uh, in, a, in the song, he longs for a holiday without any fear. A happy Christmas where we stop all the fight. I think we resonate with that, especially in a chaotic world we live in that's even more chaotic now because we, we hear about it in a 24-7 news cycle. But is that what the angels are talking about? Are the angels channeling some John Lennon here? Just peace, peace, peace to you. Absence of human conflict. Everybody getting along. Coexist. No. No, the angels make it clear this isn't a blanket peace for everyone. Because they say peace among what? among those with whom he is pleased. 
This is a peace between God and man. But it's not a scattershot peace between God and every man. There's a, a popular wording of this verse that says something like, peace, goodwill to men, right? This idea of goodwill. But that's not quite what the angels are getting at. That's not a quite a, a, a right representation of the scriptures here. The meaning is more precise. This peace is given to those with whom God is pleased. Those on whom God has had mercy. These are those who have peace with God. But I don't know about you, but that that brings up an unsettling question in my heart. Because one of the things that we try to think about over and over again as a church is how we are not pleasing to God in our state of sin. We can't do anything to to earn his favor. So is is this just like kind of like a great hype message, but then kind of brings us back down to earth when we realize we can't please God? I mean, how can God be pleased with us? How can we get God's good pleasure and therefore have peace between us and him? Well, you might have it on the next page of your Bible. You might have it on the same page. But if uh, you have your Bible open, turn over to Luke 3, the next chapter, and verse 21. So John the Baptist has been preparing the way for Jesus, as has been promised in the beginning stages of Luke. Now Jesus is kind of beginning his earthly ministry, and he's doing so in these verses by being baptized by John. Look at verse 3, or verse 21 of Luke chapter 3. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. Get this. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. See, Jesus is the ultimate one who pleases his Father in heaven. He's the perfect, obedient Son we've all been called to be. God is well pleased with his Son, yet amazingly, Jesus came to hear those words from his Father, but then at one point, years later, hear from his Father, silence. Cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the perfectly obedient son, pleasing to his father, came to be rejected by his father, rejected by us. Jesus came to be crucified for our sin and judged under the hand of God so we could be forgiven, pleasing, made sons and daughters of God in whom he is well pleased. Church, this is how we know God loves us, how we know he delights in us, because united to his son, Clothed in his son's righteousness, not ours, we are truly well-pleasing to him. And we receive peace. Some of you have experienced incredible rejection in your life. Somebody close to you, somebody influential or had sort of a sway over you and you were rejected by them. God never planned, never promises that you're going to be accepted by the person you most admire in this world or whose approval you most covet. But if you are joined to Christ, Christian, you are accepted by the creator of this world. That's good news. 
If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, you're not yet united to him by faith. We're glad you're here, but you have not yet trusted in him and believed that he has died in your place. And you have no hope except for him and what he has done for you to forgive your sins. So friend, God is not pleased with you. I'm not saying that to be mean-spirited. I'm saying that to be loving. You need, you need a relationship with God. But right now you do not have one. You are not in Christ. You are not joined to the Son of God who is pleasing to him. But here's the good news. You can't do anything about that. But Jesus has. If you'll trust in him and in what he has done, you will know in him God's forever favor. And God's voice that will always speak over you. You are my son, my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. So that's a proclamation of the angels as first cast of characters. It's glory and peace. Two interlocking themes and truths in scripture. The second group of characters we see are the shepherds. And we met them last week. We talked about how they were just kind of the pits of society. Kind of felt bad for them a little bit because we like shepherds. Um, but they, they were not liked back then. So look, look what happens though after they've received this message. Look at their reaction. Verse 15. The angels have gone away into heaven. And Luke says, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hear this good news and they're spurred to action. They've just been amazed and overwhelmed by this heavenly display and this wonderful news. And now they don't just sit on their hands or just kind of talk to each other like that was crazy, right? Are you are you seeing this? Are you tweeting this? No, they act on it. They go. They investigate. They, they seek. And they discover. Their effort is not in vain. Look at verse 16. And they went with haste. Don't know how long a trip it was, but presumably they were somewhere outside Bethlehem. They went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. There it was. There's the, that's the sign the angel had given them. Right? He's saying there was, this is good news. A son has been born He's going to be the savior. And here's the sign. He's in, a, he's in a manger. And they find him. And the shepherds are like, man, this is falling into place. This wasn't a hallucination. This is all happening. <clears throat> what a night for these lowly shepherds. <laughs> They've heard. And now they see. In verse 17, they begin to bear witness to what the angels had told them. Luke writes, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They can't keep their mouths shut. They're like, this is all really happening. So they talk about the angel and the angel's message. And then the tons of angels and what they're saying. And, and they're talking about the sign. And here's the sign. And here's the baby. And here's the manger. And oh my gosh. Talk about the most unexpected postpartum visitors, right? I mean, Mary's got to be like, it's, it's, it's a manger here. We're past postpartum visit, visitation right now. But this is no ordinary baby. This is no ordinary birth site. And this, these are no ordinary visitors. This is the Christ. Come exactly for lowly sinners like these shepherds. 
And now the sign the angels gave has been confirmed. We see in verse 18 that as the shepherds share this, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. You know, we were working through Luke over the last few years, and we see this is not the only, the only time where people are just going to be wondering and amazed at Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean they're believing. But they're intrigued. Looking down then at verse 20, the shepherds depart, and Luke says they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So back in verse 13, it was the angels who were glorifying and praising God. Now the shepherds, in like manner, are giving glory to God for this wonderful news of salvation. Angels and shepherds, heaven and earth, bringing glory to God. The message of peace has come, peace between God and man. And it causes its recipients to glorify God and exalt his name. And notice in these brief verses the, the thrice-repeated refrain of how the shepherds act according to what they've heard. So look at verse 15. The shepherds want to go see this thing which the Lord has made known to them, right? And then in verse 17, they make known the saying that had been told them, Right? And finally, here in verse 20, they rejoice in what they have seen as it had been told them. Christian, I think we can be reminded here that this is our story as well. Much like the shepherds, we are people who have heard good news of great joy. God has revealed in his word to us and by his spirit the good news of salvation, and we have seen it take hold of our lives as we've repented of our sin and placed our trust in Christ. We are those who have been told the good news. We've heard it with our ears. I don't know how you did. I don't know how you did the first time. I don't know what were the most kind of common voices that you were hearing this from. Maybe it was a parent or a a teacher or a friend or a coach or a preacher. But you heard the good news. And God opened your heart to receive it, Christian. So what a joy to be able to reflect on that truth. To reflect on the good news as it has been told us. By those who have borne witness to us. And primarily by God's word. And then to see it. In real life. Impact our every day, change our hearts, change the way we view our lives, see it play itself out in our lives by the power of God. So maybe, just maybe, if your joy in glorifying God has grown stale and tired, maybe you should go back and remember how you heard it. And then review how it has shown itself and proven itself out to be visible in your life. This passage opens with this heavenly host of angels glorifying God and ends with a humble cadre of shepherds doing the exact same thing. This is the chorus of creation. Glory to God. In our sin, we have corrupted that chorus and it has become dissonant and out of tune, like an old piano. You wince when you hit certain notes. 
But Jesus is coming here to begin to restore what has been lost. And one day all creation will sing in perfect harmony. That God alone is to receive glory. Alright, so the angels, the shepherds. Our final character this morning is Mary. Look at verse 19. We skipped over this. So the shepherds come. They're just going like crazy talking about what has happened out in the field. You should have seen it. And now look, he's here. He's in a manger. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The people who hear the shepherds, they marvel, right? We don't know if that's a marveling of faith or not. Mary is a bit more introspective. She reflects on all these things and thinks on them. See, back in chapter 1, she had received this life-changing, history-altering news that she would bear God's own son. And now it's coming true? She gives it great thought. The idea there is kind of of mulling it over in her heart. We can't know all she pondered. We can speculate, but that's only so helpful. But I think it's safe to say this probably isn't the last time she's going to do this. I mean, the rest of the book of Luke unfolds slowly to show us little by little what's in store for her son. He's to be the savior of God's people at great cost. Mary must have continued to ponder what was happening as her firstborn grew and was baptized and began his earthly ministry. She was there at the wedding of Cana, right? When he kind of, one of his first kind of coming outs. Indeed, Simeon will tell Mary later in this very chapter, in just a few verses, that a sword will pierce through her own soul because of what will happen to her son. Mary has this unique role, and she's just pondering over it. She's pondering about what's happening here, probably what she heard from the angel, what's going to happen in the days and weeks and months and years to come. She'll continue pondering as she sees her people reject her son. As she sees them crucify him on a cross where she'll watch him die. But here in the manger, she, she doesn't know all of that. Yet she ponders, she wonders, she mulls these things over. And I think, Christian, we can learn a lot from Mary here. Question, do you ponder often and think upon the workings of God in your life? So much clamors for your attention these days. It's estimated that we view between 4,000 and 10,000 ads every day, including, you know, the brand names on everything in your home. One research study says the average U.S. adult will spend the equivalent of 44 years of their life staring at screens. We are inundated with information. We are professionals at skimming and scanning. And it takes much more work to sit and think and ponder. But Mary knows what she's heard from the angel, and she considers what she's hearing from the shepherds, and she's taking it all in. She's treasuring it up. She's thinking and considering, who is this little baby? I know the angel told me, but how is this happening? What's in store? What's happening here So maybe we can learn from Mary this morning. 
maybe we can learn from Mary this Christmas season? What if we devoted just 10 more minutes each day to meditating upon Christ? What if we devoted just 10 more minutes each day to praying that he would reveal himself to us? What if we cut off some of the ads and screens that dominate our lives? What if we took a risk at being unproductive so we could ponder now and again? One of my grandfather's Bible study friends who he he was in a Bible study with for, I think, just decades, came up in a wheelchair Friday night, shared during the memorial service that my grandfather had read through his large print Bible cover to cover three times the past year. It was set out there on the table with his big magnifying glass. My grandfather was not much for technology or social media. We tried to get him a phone at one point. I actually had his number in my contacts, and I was never sure that I was even going to be able to like, get a hold of him on that. Though he did love a good movie. But he loved the word of God. He treasured it. He pondered what God was doing in his life. He took time to consider the work of the Lord. He was a ponderer. And at the end of his life, he said that he wanted God to get the glory and his accomplishments to stay in the shadows. A a wish that sounds a lot like what we see the shepherds and angels doing in this passage, doesn't it? The angels proclaiming glory to God and then the shepherds going back to their flocks, glorifying God. Because they've heard good news and they want God to get the glory. They want God to get the praise. Friends, the goal of the universe is the glory and praise of God. The goal of our lives is the glory and praise of God. It's not our personal accomplishments. It's not our careers. It's not our financial situation. It's not even our family legacies. God can get glory in all those things, but the goal of the universe, the primary goal of our lives is for God to get glory from our lips and from our hearts and for us to know the ensuing peace of living reconciled to him. So this Christmas season, take a tip from the angels. Take a tip from the shepherds. Take a tip from my grandpa. And live to exalt God and glorify Christ above all. Live in a way that shouts glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Lord, we don't even know sometimes what it means to glorify you. Many times we we come to you with our needs, which is right and appropriate. But it's harder sometimes to develop and cultivate the discipline of just glorifying you and honoring you. So Lord, we pray for those in our midst today who are feeling distant from you, who are feeling tired, who, who don't even really have the bandwidth, the think-up reasons to glorify you, Lord, would you bring, them to, bring to mind where they've heard the good news and a fruit that it's born in their lives. Lord, we pray that you would use us to lift your name on high this Christmas season, or that we would sing with our 
our hearts, that it would be present in our lives, and that it would be obvious to others around us in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. May his glory be the song of our lips and the song of our hearts. Until we see you face to face, and it will be the song of our lips and the song of our hearts forever and ever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.